Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, we are on commandment number five in our series on Ten Commandments, which is a significant one. This is where we have the invitation for children to honor uh, their father and their mother. And so I want to dedicate this sermon to Zoe and Jubilee and Vienna and Augustine. You can watch this as many times as you want as you take scrupulous notes on how to apply this to your life. It will only benefit you. So this one's for you. Um, and anyone else who's watching, we hope that you guys will be able to draw from whatever the context that you are in, age that you're at, or the home that you came from. I believe there's something for us today. So let's read our text together, and we'll dive in. Exodus 20, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters underneath the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of their father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's Wife, his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So we're going to hone in on verse 12, but honoring your father and your mother that comes with this promise that you will live a long time in the land that he's about to show them. Uh, I got to say, this sermon in particular, this command in particular, may be one of the more complex ones to navigate. Uh, because of all of the emotional baggage that can be stirred up, even just by saying that command, the questions that arise, the, um, the confusion around it. And even if you had a great um, relationship with your mom and dad, it's, it's the how. Well, how do you do that? What does it mean? And so I hope it's to unpack that. We're going to be looking at three different things. Number one, we want to look at the complexity of the problem uh, with this verse. Secondly, we want to have a new kingdom vision of what honor in God's kingdom looks like. And lastly, we're going to just have some practical things of what a new culture of kingdom honor might look like in our homes. So first, I want to, I want to address the, just as we get started, just the unique complexity of this verse. 
And the, when I say problem, it's not problem in the command. The command is good. It's our understanding of the command. And these, this problem is kind of threefold. Number one, it's, it's culturally and textually very unique. Secondly, we have a philosophical and social uh, problem in terms of how we relate to it. And lastly, and probably most sensitively, we, some of us have kind of personal and emotional objections that arise to a verse like this. So we want to kind of work through those problems, and as we uncover the kind of the nuance of those things, hopefully that will set us up to have a new vision of what God intended for the Israelites when they walked through or when they would have heard this for the first time. Now, I want to, I want to begin by just saying that culturally and textually, this, this is a unique command. We live in a different world. And this was given in a very unique time. Now, think about this. The children of Israel have just come out of centuries of slavery. And immediately what we should be asking is, what would have this command evoked in that original audience? And so you should start asking questions of like, how, did, how were mothers and fathers treated? What did honor look like? Notice that the fifth commandment is not age-specific. This is not a command to little children. This is a command to every human being on how they treat their parents. And our, our guess could be that in the context of this, if all they knew was slavery, is that the older you got, the less useful you were to the Egyptian oppressors. And so there probably would have been this, this own kind of value and narrative in their mind that as someone is no longer to contribute physically uh, to the society and to the tribe, that their value would go down. And so this revolutionary command was, no, no, no. We honor our, our mother and our father. Despite their age, despite their contribution, we will continue to maintain to have this level of honor. The other thing that's hard about this is the actual word honor in the Hebrew language is the word kaved. And kaved, according to one Old Testament scholar, says is the most peculiar word in the entire Hebrew language. In part of my study, I, I went through the different uses of this word kaved in the Old Testament. And I, I've never done a word study that has come up with so many different translations of the word in its various uses throughout the Old Testament. Um, it can be used for weight, glory, honor. It can be talking about your insides or your liver specifically. It can be talking about the seed of your human emotions and will. It can mean to harden, as in hardening Pharaoh's heart. It was the same word that is now translated honor in Exodus 20. It can actually mean gravity, like the, the force of, of the earth. And it can mean all of these things and more. And so when we, just the word honor carries with it a unique complexity to it, as much as it does within the context of that. But also notably, we live in a world, and by we I'm talking about us, in the West, 2024, that has a very different view of honor than people of the ancient Near East. And uh, Dr. Alan Cole, who's a British Old Testament scholar, says that um, says this in terms of, of these um, variants. He says, those who build a society in which old age has an honored place may with confidence expect to enjoy that place themselves one day. 
That is not a popular doctrine in our modern world, where youth is worshipped and old age dreaded or despised. The result is the folly by which men or women strive to remain eternally youthful only to find it an impossible task. And that largely comes from uh, these, these very different worldviews. And so on your screen, there should be a, a graph that shows you the difference between the Western worldview and the predominantly Eastern, or really the majority worldview. Um, our Western worldview, which covers North America, Northern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, is primarily what sociologists call guilt-innocence worldview, whereas the majority world holds what's called a honor-shame worldview. And this is essential for us to understand, for us to unpack the verse. So for us in the West, our guilt-innocent worldview, some of the unique things is we value equality. Um, we value in our communication to be direct. We value the individual. We value task. And we value risk. But in an honor-shame culture, which is still around, and it's actually the majority part of the world still holds an honor-shame culture, but it was definitely prominent in the context this was written. Instead of equality, they value hierarchy. They're more likely to measure the worth of a person based on age, position, title, rank, or tradition. Um, instead of being direct, they talk with an, in an indirect way. They're more likely to communicate indirectly, especially in conflicts, through stories or a mediator in order to save face. Instead of um, valuing the individual, honor and shame cultures value the group. They value the community. They're more likely to value opinion of the family Harmony in the community, welfare of the group more than their individual rights. Instead of valuing task, they value relationship. They're more likely to value personal relationship, social harmony, which totally trumps efficiency. And unlike the West that values risk, they value caution. They're more likely to proceed cautiously, slowly to keep what one has, even though it has been small. And so there is this widening gap in terms of worldview where we read that in the West and we're like, man, I can't believe that they would just say such a blatant face. But in that culture, that would have actually been applauded and really even assumed. Um, one, one story that comes to mind where I personally got to see this is when I was traveling in the Middle East. I was in the country of Jordan and we're traveling to the capital city, Oman. And one thing that we noticed is we did not see a single homeless person on the street. This is an urban center. It's where you would kind of expect to see uh, something like that. And we were asking one of our friends who lives in Jordan. And I said, I'm like, is there, um, I noticed like there's no, there's no one living on the street. Is, is um, drug addiction not a problem here? Or is mental health not um, a problem here? He says, oh no, it's, it's a very big problem. Alcoholism is a big problem. And I said, but no one lives on the street. He says, he says oh no, no, no. You would never let a family member live on the street because of the shame that that would bring on your family. And I thought that was really interesting that in an honor-shame culture, your rep the reputation of the group and the family takes precedent over the individual need or desire or even of their own reputation. Michael Gorman says that simply defined, honor and shame refer to the ongoing attribution of loss of esteem by one's peers, family, social class, city, and so on. In ancient society, 
This respect was based primarily on such things as wealth, education, rhetoric skill, family pedigree, and political connections. These were the culture's status indicators. In this context, self-esteem would be con conceived as a ridiculous oxymoron. The only esteem one has is bestowed by the self, but by the not by the self, but by the group. In this environment, peer pressure is not negative or something to avoid, but is viewed as appropriate and welcome. So, case in point. Our verse of study today, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that you're that um, the Lord your God is giving you. Um, I have to confess, my entire life, I interpreted that verse meaning that me, Benji, will have a long life if I honor Dwayne and Kathy Horning. And what I realized is that verse, when it says, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life, that word you is not singular, it is plural. It is a promise not to the individual who obeys, it is a promise to the nation of Israel. If you become a nation that honors the mothers and the fathers, then you will be a unique society and you will live a long time in the land. But again, I read that verse my entire life through a Western guilt-innocence worldview rather than an Eastern honor-shame worldview, which very much would have read that verse in the context of community. So that's kind of our first problem we have to realize. Like We just read that verse and hear those words so differently. Which really leads into this other question, when did the West kind of individualistic um, guilt worldview kind of come into play? Um, and not to dive into a full history lesson here, but it really came in this thing called the Enlightenment, where there was a growing anger towards the institutions that were in power uh, during the 15 to 1600s, which gave way to things like the Reformation, the Renaissance, gave way to thinkers like Rene Descartes, who famously, famously said, I think, therefore I am. Or um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who created this idea that for the very first time publicly wrote that the individual is more important than the community. And what happened is as that narrative continued to progress that the those with the power, those who were told to be given honor to should also now was being sown suspicion. Because we can't trust whether it was the church or the government or the king. And so this is where things like the Protestant Reformation and democracy and all of these things came from this rejection of what I would just call blind honor. And we live in the wake of those thinkers and those reformers. Um, but in the past 50 years, we have seen that grow to a level unlike I think any of them would have ever imagined. In terms of we have outrightly rejected any form of person, title, institution that requires honor. And that goes all the way down to the family of the mother and the father. We live in a society that no longer honor is assumed and rarely is it demanded. And if it is, by anyone in that thing, there is immediately someone cry crying out that there is oppression, that, um, that there is something wrong. And, and so we live in a society that no longer knows how to honor. 
Um, and I think that this has only been exaggerated because of things like social media and the political climate that we're in. David Brooks in his new book, How to Know a Person, says that on social media, you can have the illusion of social contact without having to perform the gestures that actually build trust, care, and affection. On social media, stimulation replaces intimacy. There is judgment everywhere and understanding nowhere. This is the world we live in. We live in a world where honor has been all but completely lost. We might be able to understand the complexity textually, culturally, philosophically. But as I wrote this sermon, probably the biggest hurdle to this verse is personal. It's emotional. It's those that even if you've made it this far in this sermon, you're like, I don't know if I want to hear a sermon on honoring my father and mother because your father or mother or both are not people deserving of honor deserving of respect, how they treated you, whether that was with abuse or neglect, um, toxicity or dysfunction, has, has really allowed you to be like, I, I don't even know what to do. Is this even a good verse at all? I mean, like I get all the other ones and Sabbath and, you know, not coveting, and not committing adultery, but man, you, if you want me to honor my father and mother, you don't know my father and my mother, or maybe one of them. And what I want to propose to you is that as our culture has continued to have the virtue of honor erode, I think people have lost the ability to know how to live honorably. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Abolition of Man, says, we make men without chests and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. And so what I want to do is rather than spend time explaining away every situation, I just want to sit with you in the tension and to realize that this, this, is, a, this is a tough verse. This is a tough verse for many people. There are dear friends that I have, mentors that I have, that have been disowned by their family because of their decision to follow Jesus. There are dear friends and mentors that I have that have been abused by their spiritual parents or biological parents. And this is something that we have to wade into, not with what I call blind honor, that means that there's obedience and it continued to be in a situation that's unsafe or not good, but I think we, what we desperately need is we need a new vision of honor. And in order for us to have a new vision of honor, we have to realize that the fifth commandment was not the first commandment. The first commandment has to do with honoring God, having no other gods besides Him. And the fifth commandment can only be lived out in light of the first commandment, which means our job, first and foremost, is to honor God. And if by staying in a relationship with our parents is somehow doing harm towards ourselves or them, and in that way not honoring God, then there's something else at play here. But before we just completely throw out this verse as useless or meaningless, especially because of the unique cultural moment we live in, would you, would you let me just 
invite you just to paint a new picture of what honor could be, what honor could actually look like. And I think that there's no better place that we could look at uh, than the person of Jesus and the community that he started. It cannot all be bad. Andy Crouch says that here is what we need to discover about power. It is both better and worse than we could imagine. Or C.S. Lewis when he says, where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food and it will gobble poison. Meaning, we might be able, we might be trying to do our best to do, with, to do away with honor as a culture, but we were created to honor. Yes, honor God, but we're actually created to honor one another. You know that Romans 12.10 says we are to love one another with brotherly affection. And the ESV says we are to outdo one another in showing honor. To lifting one up with respect and, and honor and making sure the words and the actions are actually bestowing the best on someone. We're to not just do it, we're to outdo one another. I mean, if you're, if you're a competitive person, Outdo one another in showing honor. And this is where we see this uh, lived out, is through the life of Jesus. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. If, if postmodern America were to write a verse, they would say the opposite. Everyone look out for the, their own interests instead of looking out for the interests of others. But the Bible says the opposite. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather for the interests of others. Adopt this same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, ex who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had become as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the unique kingdom vision of honor. It is not only to preserve and to protect those with authority and power. It is an invitation for those with authority and power to humble themselves to serve those who have none. That is what honor looks like. It is this, this beautiful up and down and sideways uh, movement of honor. And this is where I think honor has gone wrong. It's when people, insecure people of power, demand something for themselves rather than secure people who hold power, being able to lay it down for the sake of others. I do this all the time as a dad. I have more physical strength. I have more financial ability. I have more intelligence than my children. And the more I demand something from them for my own benefit and for my own exaltation, I am missing out on my invitation, which is to lower myself. When I wrestle with my son, I wrestle at a seven-year-old level. 
uh, when I'm talking with my 10-year-old, I'm using language that she understands as opposed to something I would use with my peers or in a graduate program. And the reason I do this is because this is the honorable thing to do. And I, I just have to be honest, any culture, and I, this exists within the church too, who only makes honor about something going upwards has missed the kingdom vision of honor. The kingdom vision of honor is one that actually moves downwards. It's this great equalizer. Yes, it calls us to honor those who are in authority, the mothers and the fathers, the pastors, those to, to pray for those who are in politics. It's this, it's a strange thing. And maybe me saying that just makes you cringe. Like, well, I don't, I don't want to honor them. And again, we need a new vision of honor because what we see is that in the kingdom vision of honor, we see this working both ways. It's this call for those in power and prestige to actually lower themselves and to come and to serve, which, which kind of leads to our last point here is um, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about God giving the Ten Commandments and he gives them this command, he's telling the people of Israel, you've lost sight of honor because you've been slaves for 400 years. You don't know how to treat each other with honor, nor do you know how to receive honor. And if you are going to be a society that lasts, you have to learn honor. But honor must start in the home. And this is the genius of God. Instead of saying, here's how you're to treat uh, political figures and the judges and the priests and things like that, and which he gets into later on, he says, it starts in the home. Children, honor your father and mother. Remember, this is not age-specific. It's how you treat those in your household will ultimately affect society. And there's so much research on the erosion of our society and the lack of honor society is directly tied to the erosion of honor within our home. And so if I could, I would like to just speak to you for a few minutes on what honor in your home could look like. And I want to just do, break this down into four different sections. I want to talk to young children, adolescents, adults, and those who are aging. First, uh, young children. Um, and before I dive into this, let me just say a few disclaimers. Number one, um, I'm going to be speaking practically into contexts that are not perfect, they're flawed. But this is not in any way condoning those who might be in a dangerous or abusive relationship. And if that is your case, then God has a completely different vision for you. And that's a rescue and refuge. But for those of us who are in a family, which was not perfect, no, none of our families are. I want to speak to the, to the children, the adolescents, the adults, and to the aging. And this is not specifically only for the biological family, which it definitely can be. But this is... If you don't have a mom and dad, this is for your spiritual mom and dad. This is for the family of God that God's brought us. So first, young children. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So if you're watching this and you have young children and and you're, and you're considering what does this look like to create a culture of kingdom honor in my house. Number one, parents. Parents, honor is not taught, it's caught. You have to show what honor looks like. If you're married, how do you speak to your spouse? 
How do you speak to your children? How do you speak about other figures of authority in society? Are you modeling honor? Are you showing the loving and compassionate authority of the Heavenly Father? So when you, are an, when you are a young child, one of the ways that we show honor is through obedience. It is requiring the four-year-old and the six-year-old to obey. Um, something that we say is that in our house, you listen right away, all the way with a happy heart. And why are we doing that? Because I want my kids to obey God, to honor God all the way right away with a happy heart. And so we teach that in the home, not because for the rest of their life they have to obey me, because that would be very strange when they're in their 40s and in their 50s, but because as, as I'm creating a culture of honor in my house, it's so that they will honor God for the rest of their life. And so we teach them things like obedience and respect and upholding kingdom and family values. And the goal of that is that they would honor God first and foremost. Secondly, if you have kids who are in their teenage years or tweenage years and adolescence, which is a widening age span that used to be just a few years now, it's, it's well over a decade, um, where things begin to change. I mean, when you are 16, do you obey your parents the same way you obey your parents when you're 18 or you're 21? And it's this unique life stage where, obe- where honor no longer always looks like obedience. For instance, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus, at the age of 12, stayed behind, unbeknownst to his parents, in Jerusalem while they went home. When they couldn't find him after a few days, they went to look for him, and it says that when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. So parents, your job is not to control as long as you possibly can. Your job is to move from showing them the authority of God to showing them the wisdom of their rabbi Jesus. It means you sit with them longer. You explain things more thoroughly. You spend intentional time with them. You listen to their fears and their dreams. You give direction. If you are an adolescent, you're in that phase where culture is telling you that you need to rebel against your parent. I just want to strongly encourage you that is not the way of Jesus. You're called to honor them. And you honor them Especially if you're getting into that, like you're graduating high school, what do you do? You honor them by honoring God. Remember, the first commandment is the first commandment for a reason. You honor them by trusting your parents' heart and their voice, asking respectful questions, trying to learn as much as you can. Also, in this age, you should start being aware of the great sacrifices your parents have made for you. Learn to be, great, learn to be grateful. Learn to be thankful for all that they've done for you. And ultimately, you will bring honor to them by upholding kingdom values and by upholding your honor and worship for God. I can't tell you how many times I was talking to 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds as a youth pastor who felt a call to go on the mission field, who felt a call to ministry, while their parents strongly urged them to take a different direction. And they were conflicted, like, how do I honor my parents if I sense God's call in my life? And at that point in your life, and not before, but at that point when you start to make adult decisions for yourself, 
you, the greatest honor you can bestow on your parents is to honor and to fear the Lord. That is how you bestow honor on them. Well, what about adults? What about those of us who are uh, well into the middle of their life? And is this uh, command still apply? And the answer to that is yes. I'm called to honor my mom and dad. As a matter of fact, before I preached this sermon, I reached out to both of them and asked just for some notes. What does it look like for them, uh, even for them, to be honoring their parents? And so a couple of things is that when children are little, we are to show them the authority that God has through quick obedience. When in their adolescence, we want to show them the wisdom that God has through their rabbi. But I think when you're an adult, you have a unique phase where you get to actually enjoy the friendship that God shows us. And you get to sit and learn and listen. You get to, you have a new perspective. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, wow, my parents did this for me uh, as I've been watching my children grow. And again, this is not just for biological children. This is for spiritual children as well. It's making sure that you spend intentional time with them and giving them honor. And then the last one, and the one that I feel has been neglected the most, um, both metaphorically and practically, is the group of parents who are aging, the group of parents who are getting older and some of them getting ready to transition into heaven. And I think this command speaks uniquely to them. We live in a culture more similar to Egypt than we realize. We live in a culture that says we are only as good as the contribution that we can make. And the fifth commandment says we do not live like that. We give honor. Regardless of someone's ability to contribute, we give honor because of not only their past contributions, but because they are image bearers of our God. And so I just want to do, number one, if you're in a season of life where you're taking care of your aging parents, I just want to honor you and commend you. Uh, It's a beautiful act of love. Uh, For many of you, this has been a part of your story. This is often where I think uh, things slow down and uh, to a pace that's a sacred pace. Um, One of my great joys in my life right now is getting to sit with my grandma. And every time I'm with her, I I learn a deep sense of God's peace and presence. And I want to honor her, but one of the greatest ways I can honor her is to sit with her and to listen to her and to laugh with her, um, but also to receive from her. And um, I love what... One of the things I was talking to my mom about is just like if even, even just being uh, slow enough just to be patient with them is a great way we can honor. And so what I love about this verse, and just in conclusion, is this is an invitation for all of us. It's an invitation for all of us because if we don't have someone to call mom and dad, we get to look around and say, who are our spiritual moms and dad that he's put around us? For those of us of any age, there is something tangibly we can do to honor the parents that God has put around us. And it looks different based on the stage that we're in. But I would encourage you to not do this flippantly or mindlessly, but to do it intentionally and with care. Because if we can restore honor in our homes, then we can begin to start seeing hope for the society around us where honor no longer is valued. And so I'm so thankful for God who invites us not only to honor Him, but to honor one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much um, 
that you invite us to honor one another. You tell us to outdo one another in honor. So would we lift up and respect and revere those around us who need it? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help posture and position our hearts to be someone with our words that we honor, um, with our time we honor, Lord Jesus, with how we live we honor. May you continue to mend things that are broken. If anyone's here who's just had unhonorable uh, a mom or a dad, I pray that you'd bring healing and peace. Lord Jesus, that you'd bring around amazing spiritual moms and dads just to help fill in those places. And thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Thank you.